Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends, offering perspectives of hope through Jesus Christ. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Join us now. Open your heart to what God has to say to you. And so we engage in a A subject that is very dear to my heart, dear to Dr. Firth's heart, and vital to the life of our society, vital to life, life itself. Dr. Katrina Firth earned her doctorate, her PhD in neuroscience at Boston University, performing her dissertation research at the National Institutes of Health. She, since graduating, she has worked as an adjunct professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. She is an associate scholar at the Charlotte Logier Institute. Dr. Firth, welcome to our show. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Share with us a moment. Where did you grow up, Katrina? Yes, I grew up in Rochester, New York, um, which is a town that's probably an hour and a half east of Niagara Falls and home to Kodak. Hmm. Well, Kodak has some connections with MIT. Who influenced you most in your growing up years? Oh, well, uh, being a parent now myself, I would have to say my parents were the primary influencers, for sure. Um, Yeah, and I remember a whole bunch of my elementary school teachers along the way, too. And what, what was it about your parents, Katrina, that left an indelible impression upon you? Well... I think it's interesting. My mom definitely worked hard to give us um, a lot of fun experiences. Um, You know, she made sure we could swim and that we got to the beach and that we got um, swimming lessons and things like that. Um, And my dad was always, always willing to drop whatever he was doing to answer our questions, no matter how childish they might be. So. Um, my dad gave me a lot of curiosity, and my mom also um, would take moments at stoplights, I remember, and talk about issues of faith, issues of should you do drugs, like all the different topics you could ever think of. Like, I remember that at stoplights, we would have these long conversations about important topics. Um, so, parents, yeah. parents not afraid to. To engage their children, allow uh, your curiosities to to blossom and to have mm-hmm. conversations and a- answer questions as well as hear hear the questions that you have. Katrina, you you studied in the uh, what what would easily be called the Athens of America, Boston University. I mentioned Kodak and MIT. I don't know, that just sort of popped in my head when I said it. It's a sort of a random thought. Mm-hmm. But MIT, a mile away, Harvard University, there you were uh, growing and developing even more curiosities in your research, finding answers. Where were you on June 24th, 2022, when Roe v. Wade was overturned? <laughs> well. I was actually sitting in the back of my minivan. Um, We were driving across the country to Colorado. And my friend texted me because I was like, I know it's going to be sometime today, but I'm not going to be on my computer all day. 
And my friend texted me and said, Roe versus Wade is overturned. Let's give thanks and praise. And so I'm pretty sure I was in the state of Pennsylvania still. We hadn't made it very far. Um, Go on. Yeah. And um, I actually remember looking at my phone when we got out to get gas um, and saying, oh, my gosh, praise the Lord. Like, here is the news we've been waiting for that um, now states can choose to defend the most innocent members of our society. Um, So that was just really exhilarating um, to be sitting in the back of the minivan. My husband was driving. Uh, We have three kids and one on the way. So I was helping manage the three kids and all of their snacks and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. You said exhilarating. Why? Why, why, why exhilarating? Oh, it's exhilarating to have people recognize um, the humanity of the unborn. I think Americans are coming more and more to recognize that the unborn are humans and, and people, and we need to protect them. Um, history has always gone and looked poorly on people who've said, no, this group is not is less than human. This group is less than uh, deserving of our protection. I mean, that's basically what you need to say in order to commit genocide or to enslave a people. And so I was like, praise the Lord, we finally recognized that the unborn are human and, and people and need to be protected. And now we can make the right steps to protect them. There's a, a clarity and a strength in the way that mm-hmm. you describe uh, these feelings. When, Katrina, did you develop convictions that led to involvement in the pro-life cause? That's actually a very interesting question um, because growing up, I would not have necessarily said um, I was pro-life or pro-choice. And actually, one of my housemates in college invited me to come to a conference in Ireland, um, which was basically uh, an introductory type workshop, sort of like Students for Life of America, but in Ireland. Um, And mostly I was excited about a trip to Ireland. I said, yeah, I'll come with you to Ireland because I wanted to go to Ireland. And I think it was there that I really thought hard about what abortion was. Like I had never thought too deeply about what abortion was. And I had, I had very much been influenced by the media saying that abortion is choice and you're giving people choices. Um, and I started to say, oh my gosh, no, abortion is killing someone and we're just blithely letting people kill other people, and this is bad. Um, so once I recognized that, I became something I was much more passionate about. So the passion really started after college for me um, when I went to this conference. Um, and the passion only grew when I had children of my own um, and saw what, what it was like to be pregnant and how that can be hard sometimes, but like the amazing gift it is to create with God, right? To be allowed to be part of this process where we are helping make new people. <laughs> so really an amazing thing. You're listening to Dr. Katrina Firth. She is a, an associate scholar at the Charlotte Logier Institute. She's also a professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. She joins us from Maryland. When we come back from our break, we'll talk about, uh, well, hey, I'll ask her about science, according to science. When does human life begin? Uh, and that, that, that that'll just be a part of delving in even deeper. June 24, 2022, it was a 
a day, a day of change, a day of life, a day of hope. When we come back, you'll hear more from Dr. Katrina Firth. Thanks for listening to the Good Life Radio Program. You can find out more about Lozier Institute at lozierinstitute.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Please enjoy. Dr. Firth, according to science, when does human life begin? Well, I think science is very clear that human life begins at fertilization. When a sperm and an egg unite and all of the genetic material from the mother and the father can combine and create a completely unique human individual. And in fact, the genetic variation is so great that no two humans are ever going to have the same genetic information. Um, Even identical twins, they're finding out, have these small differences actually between them that sort of distinguish one from the other, which has been a cool recent development. What exactly... What exactly is a 15-week fetus like? Well, I think the best way to understand a 15-week fetus is to sort of enter into, um, enter like the ultrasound world and sort of imagine watching the 15-week fetus on the ultrasound. And one great example I have, not from 15 weeks, but from my own children at 10 weeks, um, my third son, um, he um, had a lot of ultrasounds, actually, because I had a bleeding disorder in the first trimester with him. And so at 10 weeks, I remember watching him in the ultrasound put his two, um, his index finger and his middle finger into his mouth and start sucking his fingers. And I was just mesmerized because he's so small. I can't feel him yet. Um, But he was sucking his two fingers. And even now, when he's laying down for a nap, he puts those same two fingers in his mouth and he sucks on those fingers. And so I think it's what's amazing about the 15-week fetus is that that fetus is moving each finger separately and with purpose. So the 15-week fetus can grasp at objects. Um, They can explore their environment with their fingers. Um, And actually, a 15-week gestational um, fetus is going to have a preference for his or her right or left hand, um, which will basically stay through adulthood. What about organs? The, uh, the, The... 
fetus or the, the child's organs. When are yeah. most of the organs formed in the fetus? Well, I think it's actually pretty amazing to know that most organs have formed and formed almost fully by eight weeks after conception. And so that genetic blueprint that we talked about when the sperm and the egg came together, not only does that distinguish the baby's physical traits like eye color and hair color, it also says, hey, body, make sure the eyes go in the top and on the front. Make sure that the feet go on the bottom. And that's why we don't end up usually with babies, you know, with a hand sticking out of their abdomen or something is that there's this amazing blueprint that's putting everything together. And so already by 15 weeks, um, the intestines and the stomach and that whole feeding system has come together. And in fact, the same process that pushes food through our, um, our digestive system called peristalsis, that's already started. And it's not going to stop until the baby dies hopefully of old age, much later in life. Um, similarly, the heart started beating at 22 days after conception and won't stop again until death. Um, so basically three, three weeks after conception, the heart begins to beat? Yep, three weeks in a day. Um, we're sure. We can almost always detect it with ultrasound around that point. Katrina, how many times, how many times, let's say on average, per day, uh, does the heart beat? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I know that at 15 weeks, it's about 150 uh, beats per minute. Um, so it's much, much higher than the mom's. And I know the total is 15,800,000 times at 15 weeks. Um, but I'm actually, I'm trying to think how many it would be per day. Can you say uh, that again at 15? Hum, did you say several million? Mm -hmm. Yep. So by 15 weeks gestation, the heart has already beat about 15,800,000 times. You're a neuroscient, neuroscientist. Yes. Katrina, <laughs> describe a little bit about brain, brain movement at that time, around 15 weeks? What's going on up there? Yeah. So at 15 weeks, um, well, first of all, you are growing an insane number of neurons when you are in your mother's womb. Um, so between seven weeks after conception and 28 weeks after conception, your brain actually grows about 250,000 neurons per minute. So that results in, for instance, like at six weeks, your brain is essentially doubling in size for like the first couple of days as this, um, as this growth starts taking off. And the, all those neurons, they start to get integrated into circuits. And what's important about a circuit is that a circuit basically might be like a muscle connects to a neuron connects to some more neurons that help decide to move the muscles and then connects back. And so that circuit can actually start to create movement. It's, the brain is starting to take over the heart rate. The brain starts to coordinate movements like hiccuping and swallowing. And the fetus actually practices breathing starting as early as eight weeks after conception. Um, so those brain connections start doing useful things um, and to help keep the baby alive, um, as well as start doing sensation type things. So there's been some preliminary studies that um, a 15-week gestation fetus might swallow more amniotic fluid when it's sweet and a little bit less if it's bitter, which is pretty cool. Have there been have there been surprises in your studies in neuroscience in considering 
a fetus that you didn't expect? Um, yeah, I would say we definitely have had surprises. Um, I think before I started doing any research into this, I wouldn't have known when we could see our first signs that um, the fetus can experience pain, for instance. Um, but as I've done some reading, we can measure the baby's circulating stress hormones in their own bloodstream, and we can see that they experience stress related to a painful injection um, as early as 18 weeks gestation. And we also, just this year, um, a study came out that shows 3D ultrasounds of a baby receiving a painful injection, um, an anesthetic injection. And you can watch as this unborn fetus cries out in pain, essentially. Um, they open their mouth, they stick out their tongue, they wince. Um, it's very obvious that um, they're experiencing pain. And I think one thing that shocked me as I was looking into uh, the question of pain is that uh, premature infants actually have even more pain receptors than full-term infants, and they have more pain receptors than we do. And so it's likely that they actually are experiencing something even more acute, um, like a more acute pain than we would experience um, as they get a heel lance or something else that they need, a shot right after birth. I watched... I think I watched the same video that you're talking about when you mentioned mm -hmm. the, the wincing uh, fetus. And it, it was so striking to me because you can see the eyes, you can see the recoiling uh, of the fetus. And um, it, it, if someone wanted to see that or, or was curious about that, where could they go? Is there a website or somewhere that you could direct them? if they're curious about it? There is. My first reaction, the way I know you can see it is if you go to thevoyageoflife.com, um, which is a, a part of the Charlotte Logier website. Um, I know that if you go to um, month seven to eight and look at the fetal development there, you should be able to click on a link that takes you to the original video. Um, of the fetus reacting in pain. Is that Voyage of Life? Did you say dot com or dot org? Yep, it's Voyage of Life dot com. Voyage of Life dot com. You're listening yep. to Dr. Katrina Firth. She has worked as an adjunct professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington D.C. She joins us today from Maryland. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about female fetuses and eggs. That and more with Dr. Katrina Firth. She earned her PhD in neuroscience at Boston University, performing her dissertation research at the National Institute of Health. She will speak more with us about what happens at 15 weeks and I may even at a point ask her well what why why is 15 weeks so vital in our discussion Dr. Katrina Firth stay with us we'll be back with more wandering the road of desperate life aimlessly beneath the barren sky leave it to me Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story 
by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Please enjoy. Dr. Firth. How many eggs are there in a 15-week female fetus? Well, a 15-week female fetus actually has most of the eggs that she will ever produce, and that is about 7 million eggs. You pause. You pause there. And it is a dramatic pause. I'm looking at my my producer, Chaz. His eyes are open wide and and, and we're staring at each other. It's a startling remark. Uh, Can you please explain more? Go further, please. Yeah. So most of these, actually, one of the processes our body has is sometimes to overproduce or make a lot of something, such as eggs or even neurons. And then basically select the healthiest and best of those to survive. And so actually by puberty, only about 300,000 of those eggs will remain. Um, So even though she has 7 million at this point, um, she's going to slowly cut down any that seem wrong or any that, um, yeah, might have a small problem. And in fact, during a woman's reproductive lifetime, she's only going to ovulate about 300 or 400 of those eggs total. Um, so the body has many intricate processes to sort of select which are the best eggs to release and give a chance. Eye movements. Describe the mm-hmm. eyes. The, what, what's going on in the eyes with the eyes? in a 15-week fetus? Yeah, great question. Well, the first recorded eye movements come from around 12 weeks of gestation. And actually, if something touches the upper eyelid, the eyes will start to roll downward and the muscles around the eye will sort of squint. And then by 14 weeks gestation, there's actually sporadic eye movement. So the eyes are starting to move. They're getting coordinated because that takes a lot of neural circuitry, actually, to make sure your eyes are moving together. Um, And during sleep, actually, as you and I sleep, if we're having a vivid dream, we are doing a kind of sleep called rapid eye movement sleep. And you can tell in adults if we're having rapid eye movement sleep or a deeper, slower sleep based on whether or not our eyes are moving a lot. And you can actually take long ultrasound recordings of the fetus and decide, oh, the fetus is having an active dream right now, or the fetus is having a sort of deeper sleep, or the fetus is awake and potentially looking around. What about breathing? Breathing motions? Are are there any telltales early 15 weeks? that respect? Yes. So as you think about it, the baby is going to really need to breathe when it comes out, right? And so he or she has been practicing as early as eight weeks gestation and or eight weeks after conception. And basically, um, those early breaths are usually just moving the diaphragm, practicing that coordinated movement. Um, and pulling some amniotic fluid in, but not much. And then as 
the baby grows, actually, like by the fifth month, the fetus's movements are following a daily cycle, which we often call a circadian rhythm. Um, and I'm eight, eight months pregnant right now. And I can tell this baby that I've got right now um, really loves to kick me a ton in the morning, right as I'm waking up and right as I'm going to sleep. And so like she has already organized into a sort of 24 hour day. Um, and so she's moving her arms and legs more at those times of day. She's also likely um, breathing more. Um, the breathing usually increases right after a mother's meals um, when there's like more blood sugar to go around. Um, and so as the baby gets closer and closer to um, his or her due date, they're going to spend a lot more time just practicing that breathing and making sure everything is ready to go when they hit the cold, dry air at birth. How does a baby breathe in the womb, Katrina? Yeah, great question. Well, they're not breathing air. They are practicing pulling just a little bit of fluid in. Um, and actually, when they're born, there's a really important um, surge of hormones that basically signal to the lungs and say, all fluid that's in the lungs, you need to go from inside the lungs to inside the bloodstream or the lymphatic system. And so that's called the catecholamine surge. And it's really important for helping clear all the fluid that might be in the lungs out right as the baby is born, whether it's a C-section or a vaginal birth. So that happens at the moment that the child emerges, the body adjusts in that way? Yeah, basically. Yep. There's a really big, a really big change in terms of breathing. There's actually a really big change for the heart as well, um, because basically you need to switch from getting most of your oxygen from the umbilical cord to getting most of your oxygen from your lungs. And so that's a really massive change as well. Um, and so there's a hole that actually is in most um, fetal hearts that basically closes in that first day. And that's um, important that it closes so that the ba newborn baby's circulatory system um, can grow healthy and strong using oxygen from the lungs instead of from the umbilical cord. Hmm. Would you explain a bit about fetal surgeries? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, so fetal surgeries, um, the basics are a doctor can go in while the baby is still in the womb and still developing and basically correct things that might be going wrong. And so the earliest fetal surgeries actually have happened at 15 weeks gestation. And this is usually to correct something called twin-to-twin -twin transfusion syndrome, where too much blood is going to one twin and the other twin is getting neglected by the placenta. And so basically they can go in and they can make sure that the um, amount of blood that each baby is receiving is more balanced. They can grow both grow healthy and strong. And I think some amazing things we've learned about fetal surgery are that, well, first of all, they anesthetize the baby separately from the mother. So we know that um, when both um, the fetus and the mom are patients, they are treated as if they are experiencing pain and, as, um, and holistically. Um, Another interesting thing is that um, fetal surgery is so successful that they were doing a clinical trial to help correct spina bifida in children. Now, spina bifida is where the um, spinal cord fails to close at the bottom, and it can be really devastating in terms of your motor movements and whether or not um, a child will learn to walk, things like that. And so they did some clinical trials and said, what if we correct 
the spina bifida and we close up the spinal cord before the baby is born versus the standard procedure, which had been waiting till the baby was born and then having the newborn undergo surgery. And what they found was that the in utero surgery or the surgery while the baby was still in the womb was so much more effective that they actually stopped the clinical trial and said, everyone needs to get this treatment because ethically we can't keep adding to our numbers. This is doing so much better. Um, And more and more babies are able to walk. They're able to um, develop naturally and fully um, because the womb is a really great place to heal. You're um, safely inside the amniotic fluid. And um, as long as no infections are introduced, um, it's a great place to continue to grow. And once things are in the correct places, they can continue to grow even more and more um, correctly. They can do this with congenital heart disease, too. It's really amazing the list of things they can fix now um, while still in the womb. You're listening to Dr. Katrina Firth. Uh, Katrina, thank you. This is. just eye-opening information and uh, and hopeful, mm-hmm. hopeful for for life, hopeful for, when, when you talk about the detail, when you talk about even anesthetizing uh, the mother and the child, uh, I mean, we're having a, a, a different conversation from those who uh, take a strongly opposing view of the of life and the value of life and, and the right to life. You're listening to Dr. Katrina Firth. Again, LogierInstitute.org. That's how you can find out more about her work. Her work, she's a professor at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. She earned her Ph.D. at Boston University. And she's... a uh, associate researcher, scholar at the Lozier Institute. When we come back in our final segment, we'll talk about 15 weeks. Why is that so critical? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Aimlessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me i lead you home Hi. This is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, that pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts have been downloaded in 49 states and 35 nations in the last six months. Please help us expand our reach. Go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome back to our show. Today, we're reaching into the vault for a classic interview when I hosted this show in Hawaii. Please enjoy. Dr. Firth, why? Why 15 weeks? Uh, what, what's, what's in this 15-week time frame that is so important in the pro-life cause? Um, well, there's two main answers here. Legally, we've got the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health uh, decision from the Supreme Court was really defending Mississippi's right to defend the unborn at 15 weeks. Um, so legally, both 
Mississippi and Florida have bans on abortion that start at 15 weeks. Um, but scientifically, we know that some amazing things are happening already at 15 weeks gestation. One of the ones that amazes me most is that um, the fetus is actually making goal-directed movement. And you might ask, how would you know the fetus has a goal? Um, and so what we see is, again, from continuous ultrasound recordings, a twin will move more gently as they move their hands towards the face of another twin. Um, they'll also move more gently when they're going to touch their own face or another object. They'll start to slow down as they reach the object. And I think this is really a cool thing because your first movements are very jerky, right? Your muscle is just just starting to get wired to the neuron. And so those first movements can be like a little jerkier, a stretch or a movement um, in a certain direction. But already at 15 weeks, by slowing down, we know there was some intention to touch that twin or there was an intention to touch that face or else they would have just whacked themselves in the face. Um, and so that's a really cool um, sign basically of their conscious consciousness um, and their ability to choose something for themselves. You've done, you've done work, your interests uh, include fetal and infant brain development in humans, and of course, in, in mm -hmm. vivo and in vitro electrophysiology in rodents. Uh, say say something about that. Uh, what what have you? Well, how did you? How did you become interested in that? And what did you find? Or what have you found? Well, I think you could describe my research career as having two prongs. Um, when I was younger and before I got married and had kids, um, I really wanted to solve um, schizophrenia. If one, if one could solve schizophrenia, um, I knew families that had suffered greatly um, with children or family members who had had schizoaffective disorder or schizophrenia itself. And so I wanted to find a cure, right? Um, and so when I went to grad school, I was really keen on working in a lab that would relate to schizophrenia research and hopefully um, developing drugs that might help or therapies that could help. Um, and what I learned about research is that it's not cut and dry. You you don't just will your way to understanding things you have to um you have to do a lot of work and sometimes the hypothesis you try doesn't work um and so i i also twice along the way in getting my phd i thought there's a good chance i'm not going to get my phd and if i do get it i really want to glorify god with it um so the first time was when my husband got a job in DC after I started grad school in Boston University. And I said, oh man, PhDs take five or six years. Like I'm not going to stay in Boston for four or five years apart from my husband. I guess I'm going to have to start again. And I was feeling really depressed about this. And, um, I talked to the director of my program and she was like, no, there's no way you can stay at Boston university and move. Um, but then I actually remember she called me on a weekend um, at my cell phone and she said, Katrina, there's one way that this will work. And I said, really, what's the way it will work? And so she told me about this program at the NIH where they train graduate students from universities all over the country. And all I had to do was apply, basically. And I knew that it was God, um, A, because I could then move with my husband, but B, because the schizophrenia lab I had wanted to work with in Boston actually didn't have funding for another grad student. And so by moving to D.C., I actually 
got to continue working in schizophrenia research um, in a way that I wouldn't have been able to if I'd stayed in Boston. And so it was really an instance of God working things out better than I could have expected. Um, and then similarly, when I, um, when I got pregnant with my first child, I wasn't sure if I had enough data yet to complete my PhD. And I feel like God really worked things together um, so that my research did finally start to come together. And I said, God, I am going to glorify you with this PhD because it feels like yours and not mine. You mentioned glorifying God. You, you, you talk about God opening this. You didn't use those words. I'm putting that in there. But opening this door mm-hmm. at NIH uh, for you to be with your husband and his work there. Uh, your, 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 your faith background. Share a little bit about how you, your faith background has influenced your own growth and your own perceptions of the career that you have. Yeah, so um, I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as my Savior in high school um, at an alternative spring break where we were working on houses fixing up houses in the inner city in Rochester during the day and doing worship and hanging out at night um, in this big church. The group was called Flower City Work Camp. And from there, man, God has had a lot of um, processes helping me submit to his word, helping me submit to um, understanding that I can't solve my sin problem myself. Um, and also just giving me opportunities in the pro-life movement that have been really both rewarding and eye-opening both. Um, so I've been able to, um, do sidewalk counseling when I was younger and talk to women who were on their way into a clinic, um, and, and have conversations with them before they went inside, done some time in a pregnancy resource center. And most currently, I actually work with teen moms um, with a group called Young Lives. And that's been really fun because um, they have young kids. I have young kids. We do things like go to the playground together and talk about life and um, life and faith and all sorts of things. And it's been really rewarding to get to help people who have made hard choices and, and kept their children when there were options and the world was screaming at them, even like, why aren't you choosing an abortion? And they said, no, I'm not going to do that. I want my baby. We have just a, about, about a minute and a half left. Katrina, would you uh, be so gracious to pray Say a prayer for our listeners. Someone might be struggling in this particular area or maybe more broadly in another area of their lives. But as one who who knows the Lord and loves the Lord and wants to glorify God, would you would you pray, please? Yes, of course. God, I thank you so much just for this opportunity to talk to Danny, and to talk to the listeners on the radio. And Lord, my heart just reaches out to women today as they, um, as one or two women who might be listening to this are just considering their options and what they are going to do in the face of an unplanned pregnancy, Lord. And I pray you would give them the courage and the strength to parent um, and to parent well, Lord. And um, Lord, I know that you don't call the equipped. You don't call people who are have everything together. You equip the people you call. And if you bless someone with a pregnancy, Lord, you have what it takes to, um, to bring them through all of parenting, all the, the easy parts and the hard parts and the nights when kids throw up. And um, Lord, I also just want to pray for all the women 
who have had miscarriages um, or who might be struggling to get pregnant. Um, Lord, that's also a part of my story. And um, God, I just pray that you would um, comfort them and be with them. And Lord, for anyone who has chosen an abortion in her past, Lord, I just pray that you would reach into her heart and help her to realize that there is no unforgivable sin, that this is something that Jesus understands as well. And he wants to reach out and he wants to offer grace to a woman who has made that choice. And Lord, I hope that no one listens to these, um, these facts about the unborn and feels judged, but I, Lord, I hope that they feel uh, inspired to know um, just the amazing creation that you um, are working out in every single pregnancy, Lord. Um, so yeah, I just pray that listeners would come away mesmerized by your amazing work and your um, amazing creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Katrina, thank you so much. Enriching words from Dr. Katrina Firth, LozierInstitute.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple or Spotify or major podcast platforms. Luke 1 verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dr. Katrina Firth. LogierInstitute.org. Until next time, along with my producer Brian Torres, social media director Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator Jan Yi, and board operator Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with the good life.